Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Judges as we just continue our study through through Judges. We're getting close to the end. Today we're talking death by thirst. Death by thirst. We're going to be looking at the life of Samson. I thought I was going to get this all in one message until Friday night. I realized that this is going to be a two-parter. Who is I to think that I could get Samson done in one session? But uh, foolish or wisely, I looked at that or we would be here forever. Your hair is too longer. Yeah, my hair, yeah. You can watch it grow, yeah. Let me ask you a question. What does Thor, the Incredible Hulk, Superman, Hercules, and Arnold Schwarzenegger all have in common? Well, the first three are comic book heroes. Hercules is the prodigy of a Greek god Zeus and a human woman. And Arnold is a movie star who plays a hero. But the one thing in common is their what? Their superhuman strength. Well, maybe not Arnold's all the time, but their superhuman strength. We like our heroes to be strong, do we not? Brave, committed to helping others. In the past, we loved our heroes to be pure, steady, and trustworthy. However, today, we're more drawn to heroes with a flawed past, and many times who justify their wrong actions because it's the right reasons. These anti-heroes satisfy our thirst for people who are like us, but can rise to the occasion when needed. Last week, we learned that God could accomplish his purpose through the deficient, dysfunctional, and defective leaders. We get the leaders that we deserve. Though this is not ideal, we are not to despair as God is present even in the darkest of times. And I would refer you to that message on our website if you'd like to to, to listen to that, watch that. But as we come to the end of chapter 12, three minor judges are briefly recorded. There's Ibzan, who, who, who judged for seven years. There's Eline for 10 and Abdon for eight for a total of 25 years of peace and safety. After some years of just discord and dysfunctionality. But as we continue to chapter 13, we're introduced to Samson, the strongest man ever to live. He's a real-life man of strength and heroism, but he's also a very flawed man who was unfaithful to Yahweh and squandered his strengths and gifts, but is also praised for his faith in the book of Hebrews. Again, as we work through our thing, we see a lot of tension with these men that God appoints to serve. So in Judges chapter 13, again, I want to share with you, encourage you to bring your Bibles. We'll put a few up here on the screen, but I encourage you to bring your Bible. I also want to encourage you to grab the notes page on the back if you want to take notes. I encourage you to take notes. And I shared with the ACC group, uh, our adult core class earlier at our 945 time, is I encourage you to take notes. And, And I don't expect you to take all the notes of everything I say, but just Excuse me, jot down the things that are important to you, that the Holy Spirit, it may be just one thing, it might be one idea, and it may not be a point that I came, but just something that God brings to you, and then take and, and talk about that with your wife, your, your children, and, and take time during the week to meditate on those things. And I think that's important for us to get the most out of our gathering 
this morning is to take and open up our Bibles and take notes, listen attentively, and write down things that we learn. Now, as we go to Judges chapter 13, verse 1, look at this passage of Scripture. It's very familiar. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The cycle continues, except something is different that happens as Samson enters the story. This time we are not told that Israel cries out for help. We are not told that Israel confessed their sin or even repented of their sin. They seem to come to the place in this dark time that they have now accepted the consequences of their unfaithfulness. They have counted the cost and says, yeah, we're okay with this. We, we are now comfortable. We've made peace with their fate of being subservient to their oppressors, the Philistines. What a dark time this is. We read that the Philistines oppressed Israel for 40 years. Theologian John Currid notes that perhaps the most serious military threat to Israel in the later periods of the judges was the Philistines. They were one group of sea peoples, meaning they were coming from the Mediterranean Sea, who invaded the Mediterranean coastal areas of Canaan, roughly about the same time that Israel conquered the highlands of Canaan during the times of Joshua. They settled in the southern coastal plain where they established a territorial state under the organization of five states. Many of the names you would understand today is Gaza. Uh, Israel was just uh, bombed with four uh, rockets just the other day through Gaza. Uh, conflicts between the inland Israelites and the coastal Philistines was continual and often severe. The Philistines would serve as a thorn in Israel's side for many years to come, with the most famous Philistine being the giant Goliath whom David killed with just a stone and a sling. They were technologically more advanced in their weapons than the Israelites uh, at this time, as they had uh, iron and, and stuff of those times. And they easily subjugated the tribes close to them, including the tribe of Dan, where our setting is for this morning, to which Samson belonged. Now, the writer of Judges, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us more biographical information about Samson than any of the other judges, as well as most of the characters of the Bible. We get a glimpse of his birth, his marriage, his different conflicts with the enemy, his love life, and his death. Samson is a poet, he's a lover, he's a man of violence and revenge, and he's the appointed deliverer of Yahweh. He was also arrogant, clueless, gullible, and betrayed by the women he loved. In chapter 13, verse 2, we read of his supernatural, miraculous birth. Join me with that as we read that. As scripture says, there was a certain man of Zorah, the, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child be, shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the, of the Philistines. 
Verse 5, I believe, or verse 6, then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Father, just be with us this morning as we open up your word. Give us wisdom. Help us to understand your truth. And as we think of this, this ancient uh, you know, deliverer, this, these ancient people, this ancient text, Lord, how is it irrelevant to us today? How does it serve as an example, as a, as a lesson? I pray that your spirit would have free reign this morning, that you may be glorified and for our good. Amen. So just a few things as we look at that passage. First, we see that Manoah and his wife cannot have children. They're very similar to, to us, uh, um, Hannah and her husband, as well as, as um, Zacchaeus, or not Zacchaeus, but um, to help me, uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth and uh, her husband? Zechariah. Was it Zechariah? Okay, see my mind's just going. We see the angel of the Lord appears to him once again. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus that we saw with the story of Gideon. The Lord promises to open her womb and to give her a boy. She's commanded not to drink wine, strong drink, or eat anything unclean to be, to be considered clean. Her son is to be set apart as a Nazarite, and this becomes very important. Her son is ordained to be a savior by delivering Israel from their enemy. Now, a Nazarite took a special vow to abstain from certain things for religious purposes. Yahweh had laid down the requirements in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, though it seems that there is both temporary and perpetual vows one may take. In Scripture, only three are identified in Scripture as perpetual Nazarites. That was Samson, the first one here, Samuel, who we'll look at as we go to his book, and then John the Baptist. They were, there was three distinguishing marks of a Nazarite. Number one is there was a renunciation of wine. There was not to drink of the grapes. Number two was the prohibition of the use of the razor. And then number three, the avoidance of contact with a dead body. Those are the three things that were the main things that a Nazarite was to stay away from. Now, as a side note, let me say this, because we sing this song every once in a while, and then we find in Matthew that Jesus is called a Nazarene. That does not make Jesus a Nazarite. Nazarene and Nazarite are two different things. Matthew identifies Jesus as a Nazarene because he grew up in the village of Nazareth. So just as a side note, but as we move down in chapter 13, look at verse 24. And the woman, as the angel of the Lord promised, bore a son. And she called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanandan between Zorah and Eshtoil. Now as we continue in chapter 14... We read that Samson is growing up in the favor of the Lord, but now he's a young man and he's smitten with one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he goes to the town, he sees an attractive young woman, and he is just smitten. And as you look in chapter 14, those first verses, you see that he pastors his father to acquire him for him. That was the way it was. You just didn't go up, you went to your father and he would then approach her father and he would make a deal. His parents try to talk him out of it as they know that they were warned by both by Yahweh through Joshua and through Moses not to intermarry with the pagan society surrounding them. Nevertheless, Samson does not listen to his parents. Is that a story that's as old as Cain and Abel, right? 
Well, actually, it's Adam and Eve. Nevertheless, Samson rejected their pleas and the warnings of Yahweh, and he demanded that they obey him. He says, and look, you may want to underline this if you're in there, for she is right in my eyes. Chapter 14, probably verse 1 or 2. She is right in my eyes. Now, in this, this, this instance, his parents were right, and Samson was terribly wrong. They were trying to steer him in the path of the Lord, but Samson here could not control his desire for the forbidden fruit. I'm sure his parents were beside themselves, especially knowing that Samson was a gift of God with the promise of being a savior of Israel. But how could Samson do this if he willingly disobeyed God's command? They might have even been concerned that this would deter the plan of God for Samson. However, as we read in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 4, we say once again that God's sovereignty and human pro- or God's sovereignty and providence, along with human uh, choices, are working hand in hand. Look at verse 4. His father and mother, they were against this. They, they tried to tell him against it, did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So Samson looks and has the desire for the forbidden woman. He, he's not to intermarry. He's not to even uh, be uh, interested in those women. However, that's what he desires. And of course, his parents are, are trying to talk about it, but they did not know But this was God's plan. That it was God that was actually drawing Samson as well. And so we see again God's human providence and sovereignty in working things together and using it with human responsibility, human choice, that God may have his will accomplished, that this may be an event that would use Samson to deliver Israel. These are, these are concepts that we've been talking now for years, is understanding that all things happen according to God's plan, but yet in that same thing, it does not absolve us of our own responsibility and choices. Now, Samson's choice of a, of a bride begins what we're going to read, the downward spiral of his life. He's going to enjoy great victories, followed by self-inflicted tragedies. Most of you are familiar with his life story and his adventures. He had superhuman strength and stamina as depicted in his conflicts with the Philistines. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed 30 men for their clothes to settle a debt. He caught 300 foxes and tied them together and used them to start a fire that burned up the farm fields of the Philistines, which eventually wound up killing his wife and her family. He fought and killed many of them when they came to capture him and imprison him because of what he did. He then broke ropes that that were used to restrain him and killed a thousand men with just the jawbone of a donkey. He tore up the huge gates of a city and carried them up a hill. Three, I could barely carry myself up a hill. Three times he fought off a large group of men that tried to trap and imprison him. And in his last feat of strength, he pushed down the pillars of a house of worship, killing over 3,000 men and women. You, most of you know these stories. Hopefully you read the stories again. That's why I give it to you on Facebook and Instagram, things of that nature, so you can read and, and catch up. If you haven't, take some time this week to read those three chapters. But he's just a, a man of adventures. We've, we've seen movies and TVs and comic books are even made of Samson. Yet with these victories came many great tragedies and defeats that mainly were the consequences 
of his own actions and choices. He continued to love the wrong woman. Philistines and prostitutes were his companions. He neglected his Nazarite vow by eating from the dead carcass of a lion. He reacted with anger and revenge. Two of the women in his life nagged him and eventually portrayed him. He is blinded as his eyes are gouged out when he is finally caught after taking him prisoner. And he misused his gift and strength and commission for his own selfish gain. And in the end, committed suicide. His story ends with him committing suicide as a prisoner of the Philistines, as recorded in chapter 16. Move to that if you would. Judges chapter 16, look with me in verse 28 as we come to the end of his life. Then Samson called to the Lord, here he is. He's blinded. His hair is finally growing back, as many of you know, is cut. He leans against the pillar and he says, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Even in this, he is still self-centered and seeking revenge. But we see that God honors this. For we read in verse 29, And Samson grabs the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all of his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. So chapter 13 to 16, we're seeing, well, a little bit probably 14 to 16, you're seeing about a 20-year period. He's the most famous of all the judges, but yet he squandered his potential and gift, get this, for self-satisfaction. However, as we said before, he is still listed in the book of Hebrews as a man of faith. Pastor Tim Keller writes this. You'll see this on the monitor so you can follow along. That the life of Samson is exciting, but it is also disturbing and disappointing. He is the last judge, unless we're counting Samuel, and his miraculous birth prepares us for a wonderful, powerful deliverer. Instead, we find by far the most flawed character in the book of Judges. A violent, impulsive, sex-driven, ungodly, complacent man. He uses his spirit-given strength selfishly to exercise or to, to extricate himself from the trouble his weaknesses get him into. He is an individual picture of the state of Israel as a whole, virtually indistinguishable from the pagan Philistines around him. And he's quite happy to exist under their rule instead of under God's. Time and time again, you see that he is interacting or defeating the Philistines in, in revenge or actions for his own. He's not a leader that's going out and saying, let's defeat them. Did you notice that as you read through that? It's almost and always in response to something they did to him. Samson here illustrates the 12 tribes who did what was right in their own eyes. Remember, she is right in my eyes. That's going to be important. 
So Samson here is, not, is a picture of the 12 tribes. There is much that we can learn from the life of Samson, both in his victories and his defeats, his obedience and disobedience, and his faithfulness and unfaithfulness. But not only does Samson serve as an example or as a type of Israelites, just like you and I, who do what's right in our own eyes. We, we live in that world today, that Romans 1 world. But he's also, surprisingly, a type or an example of Christ, which just blows our mind. And there are many comparisons between the two. We see his birth, both in his birth and in Jesus' birth, there was an angelic announcement and a supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. We see in their commission, both were appointed to serve as saviors of Israel to deliver them from their enemies. In their commandment, Samson was to be true to his Nazarite vow and Jesus was to obey the Father in all things. In death, both were betrayed by people close to them, suffered humiliation by their enemies, and were victorious in their death. So he's both an example and a type of you and I, but also of Christ. Now, while reading these chapters, we read a the common theme occurs when Samson is victorious over his enemies. And that's the spirit of the Lord. The writer of Judges describes this, that as a young man, the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And by the way, here's an extra one as, as another one as comparison is that it says there at the end of, I think, chapter, or chapter 14, that Samson grew in favor. So did Jesus, remember? And he grew in favor with God and with man. But in here we see the writer of Judges describes that the Lord began to stir in him. And four other times in those chapters, we read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Another instance where we see that the Holy Spirit would reside in Jesus. We're seeing that as we've been going through Luke in our regular study, is that the Spirit is so involved in the work of Christ. This tells us that Samson's great strength did not come from his muscles, right? but from the spirit. We usually picture him as some type of, you know, really buff guy. But he probably did not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Silver or Celeste Sloan, or even the three Chris's, right? Chris Evans, Chris Pratt, or Chris Hemsworth. Though he did have long hair like Thor. Samson does confess to Deliah in Judges chapter 16, verse 7, if you're there, that a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. I wish I could have used that at North Love when I was growing up. I should have just told him I took a Nazarite vow, and that's why I couldn't cut my hair. But if my head is shaved, he says, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So his strength was not in his body, in his workout routine, CrossFit, or any of those types of things. However, as we look at his hair, it's not that his hair actually gives him strength due to its length, but it served as a symbol of the vow made by his parents and himself to Yahweh. His strength comes through the Lord. I doubt Samson was one of those guys who, when he went to open a door, just crushed it because of his strength. It was when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In his obedience, get this, in his obedience to the Lord, he found strength. And what I want to focus on this morning, though, is what led him to such a tragic end. And if he had all these things, if the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, what led him to such a tragic ending? 
He is mentioned as a man of faith. How do we reconcile that with what we read of him in the rest of Scripture? So with that, I want to do some redundant remember, some things that we've been teaching you from time to time. First, as we think of faith, I want to remind you of what faith is. In Hebrews 11, you'll see this here on the screen, 11.1 tells us, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's the assurance of things that we hope for. Now we've told you again, what's hope? Does anyone want to shout that out to me? Is it wishful thinking? Yeah, it's a confident expectation that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. So faith is the assurance that God is going to do what he says he do. It's the convictions of things not seen. One of the deacons I once served with, Quavis Bonner, defined faith. And you know, this will be, I've shared this with you before, that faith is bold obedience to God's word and defiance of circumstances and consequences. And I like that. It's something in which we can help. In defiance of circumstances and consequences, I am boldly going to obey God's word. Of course, you've heard me use the phrase to try to just help you and I understand it, that faith is a confident trust in the person and promises of God. In other words, if you and I are going to be men of faith, women of faith, we need to be confidently trusting in the person and the promises of God. Now, there's two other important truths about faith that you need to know as we continue on. Number one, Faith is necessary to please God. In Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So understand this, is that many times people will use faith. Well, you just got to have faith. Keep having the faith. Well, I, I'm struggling in my life. I don't know uh, this cancer has got my, or health scare might has got me, or I don't know about my job, or I don't know this. Well, just keep having faith. Well, what is faith? Well, faith is a confident trust in God, not in ourselves. And so you and I need faith. So this is important to understand, is that you and I do not have that in and of ourselves. And without it, we cannot please God. Anything done, even a good work, has no spiritual benefit and is not pleasing to God if it is not done by faith. That's what scripture tells us. So you and I cannot please God in and of ourselves because number two, faith is given as a gift by God. It's not something we have within ourselves. So when, when, when sometimes even those who profess Christ or those who don't know Christ say, well, you just got to have faith. You have no faith. What they may say is, well, you just got to have some confidence. You need to have some wishful thinking. And they got faith in themselves. I know you can do it. And then they throw out Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But faith is not in ourselves. Faith is a gift of God. We see that in, in, in Ephesians and in Romans. I think the scripture is up there for you. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest no man may boast. And we usually think, what is the gift of God? Well, it's salvation. But it isn't. It's that, it's that whole phrase. For, you, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves, but by the grace of God. We see that in the next passage, Romans he says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according, look at this, to the measure of faith that God has what? Assigned or appointed. So let me put this all together. Faith is something that you and I need to please God. However, that faith is not something of ourselves. It is something that God assigns to us. So today, God has assigned you a measure of faith. That's why I say that you and I, if we're going to face life, if we're going to have a confident trust that you and I do not measure or grab more faith in ourselves, but we pray that God will give us more faith. The Bible tells us that we are as pastors, that one of the job as a pastor, elder, deacon, and, the, and each member of the church is you're to supply what is lacking in someone else's faith. In other words, what is, in what way is someone not trusting God? Help them to bring that confidence. We do that through praying. We do that through reading scripture. We do that through giving testimonies, which I would love to hear more and more each week. We need to make time to do that. How has God supplied what was lacking in your faith today? And that's very important. You and I need to understand that. So to sum it up, I would point out that Samson was a man of faith only when he trusted the Lord. As we see, his faith was imperfect like all of us. Right. But even in his imperfection and flawed character, God used him to accomplish his purpose. Even when Samson's purpose was for revenge and selfish reasons. That is really hard to understand. But something that scripture is telling us, teaching us to help us understand this, uh, to understand this. Think of it this way. I got it up here for you. Living in faith means being satisfied with the person and the promises of God while living in the flesh is not being satisfied with the person and promises of God. So hold that up there just for a minute and consider that. Samson, when he trusted in God, was a man of faith, as in any, as any of us are. However, when he saw what was right in his own eyes, when he desired the forbidden, then he was not satisfied in the promise of God. Samson's very easy. His parents say, no, has not God told us not to intermarry? Not to mingle? Has he not told us that we should marry within our own tribes and our own people? Samson said, yeah, I know God said that, and I know God promised, but I'm not satisfied. This woman here, the forbidden one, she's right. She's got it going on. That's what I want. So you're here today and you're thinking, well, I want to be a man of faith, a woman of faith. I want to live by faith. And you can if you pray for that and God gives that grace to you. But also when you and I sin, what you're really saying is I'm not satisfied with the promises of God. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. When I'm not satisfied with the promises of God. When we live in obedience to God's will, we are victorious. When we live in disobedience, we suffer defeat. Why? Because God is not with us in those moments. The problem of Samson, like his contemporaries, is that he sought satisfaction outside of God's promises. And he adopted the culture of the ungodly pagans. And I'm afraid we have done that ourselves as Christians and churches and others. This is shown in his self-centeredness, which led him to sexual immorality. 
And it's no wonder that three of the most celebrated men, listen to this, it's no wonder that three of the most celebrated men of the Old Testament struggled with sexual immorality. Samson, David, and Solomon. They paid a high cost for this sin. The Holy Spirit warns us through Scripture that those who engage in sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. We are warned to flee and abstain from sexual immorality. It is, we are called for sexual immorality not to be named among the church and that we're not to associate with a brother or a sister who's engaging in sexual immorality. And that our bodies are not to participate in sexual immorality as we read earlier with our scripture reading, as it is a sin against our own body. In Colossians chapter 3, you'll see it here on the monitor. Paul commands us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then look at the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These are all things that Samson took advantage of. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you and I need to understand this. This is a warning to you and I that our lives should not be marked with any type of sexual immorality or impurity. or pa- These are all almost synonymous. It's an evil desire. Again, that becomes an idolater. When he said, this is right in my eyes, he was saying, that woman is my idol. And because I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to worship myself by taking that which I want. Samson could not or would not control his desire for strange flesh. And by that, that which was forbidden, that which was not his to take. His desire for self-satisfaction was stronger than his desire to please God. Though he was set apart for the glory of God and the good of his people, Samson could care less. And counting the cost, he found it more valuable to pursue the pleasure of his libido than the pleasure of God. Unfortunately, this describes the culture today. The great freedom that is most valued in our culture today, the greatest liberty that is treasured today is that of sexual freedom. We see that day in and day out. And they're trying to push this even to our children. The freedom to pursue my own satisfaction at any and at every cost. This is it led to easy divorce, abortion, affairs, and abuse. Declaring ourselves free to pursue every sexual whim and fancy, we have enslaved ourselves with the, cha- with the chains of sin and into the curse of death. Pastor Garrett Keller tweeted back in February, you see it here, that sin will ensure that you can escape its grasp anytime. That's what sin will say. Uh, just dabble with me. Just play with me. Let's, let's just waddle a bit here. Let's just concentrate. Think of this anytime you want. But beware. <coughs> strength, or excuse me, sin is strengthened as you feed it. You won't be strong enough to escape it. Sin changes your affections as you feast on it so you won't want to leave it. He warns us, don't fall for the tempter's trap. Many times, men, we've talked about the second glance as we're driving, as we're walking. And you see the beautiful, attractive young lady. And many times, the first glance, there's not much we can do about that. There is nothing that Samson could do when he's just walking down the village and he sees a beautiful, attractive woman. 
But his problem wasn't the first glance. It was the second glance. It was, whoa, what do we have here? Now, I'm putting in a few things in Scripture that aren't there, but you can bear with me. And then what does he do? He dwells on it. He thinks about it. He can't escape it. The snare is pulling him closer. Now, you and I do that in all things of life. You can do that with a chocolate piece of cake, piece of cake a piece of chocolate cake, if you're supposed to be on a diet. Yeah, that first glance, okay, but that's the second glance. It's the third glance. It's the feeding on it till you're wanting it, you're dwelling on it, you're meditating it, on it. Samson found himself in a cycle that he could not escape and he wound up paying a high price. And I want to warn you that many of us, even those of us who profess Christ, even those of us who want to be men and women of Christ, minimum of faith, find ourselves in that same cycle. We're spinning and we can't get out. We may want to, but we can't. Where and how did Samson go wrong is the question. How did he go from being set apart to compromising his vows? One of the saddest verses in the Bible is found in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. If you have your Bibles open, you may want to turn there. And you may want to underline this verse because it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. What a terrible, terrible thing to read. He did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. His downfall was that his heart was not in the right place. And by that, I mean that instead of focusing on pleasing the Lord and knowing when the Spirit of the Lord was on him, he was focusing on pleasing himself. Now, as a reminder, the heart, as we look at the Bible, it tells us to guard our hearts, to, that, 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 that there's much to be said of the heart. But the heart is made up of three areas. You remember these? It's made of our mind, the things that we think of, the things that we dwell on. A heart is made of our, our emotions, the things that we desire, our passions, the things that we, we long for. But then it's also made up of our will. That's our choices, the things that we choose. And so our thoughts and desires and choices all work together to display what it is that we do, we want, and think. The scripture warns us in Jeremiah 17, you see it here, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Let me tell you, the world says... Follow your heart. I'm like, don't. If you do anything, don't follow your heart. Why? Because it's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. What we're reading here in these chapters is that Samson's heart is not healthy, but very, very sick. The pattern is found in the words, here's the words if you're taking notes, see, desire, and take. You can sum up Samson's whole life with those three words. He saw, he desired, and he took. This is illustrated when he first saw his wife. 
He saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. He told his parents to get her for me as my wife. He desired her in declaration that she is right in my eyes. He makes a choice. Even as they're trying to diffuse that, he saw, he, he desired her, and then he took her. Samson's descent into sexual immorality and unfaithfulness was fueled by these three things. Number one, his thinking what was wrong, thinking what was wrong was right. Thinking what was wrong was right. When he declares that the forbidden woman is right in his eyes, he is saying that she is lawful, that she is upright, pleasing, and agreeable. Scripture warns us in Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Do we not live in that world today? Samson knew the law. He knew what was commanded and he understood what was expected of him. But like many of us today, we ignore, neglect, and reject the commands of Scripture when it's inconvenient or it goes against what we want. So not only did he think what was wrong was right, but he did not control his desires. We're looking at his heart again. Remember thinking, the mind, the heart, or the emotions, what we want. He could not desire or control his desires. He allowed his desires to overcome him instead. Instead of fleeing or abstaining, he embraced those desires straight into sin. Yahweh warned Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, in Genesis 4-7, that sin is crouching at the door. He says, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That same warning goes to you and I. Brothers, Christians, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. We must embrace that same warning, as our desire can be like a flame that draws in the moth. The Apostle Paul warns us in Galatians to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirits are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But you and I, many times, we're walking and we're allowing our desires to lead us. We're talking about this, right? Facts and feelings. It's how I feel. Forget about facts. Forget about thoughts. Forget about what's right or wrong. I feel this way. I want this way. I desire this. So we allow that to lead us to where we are today and where he was. And number three, he did not choose wisely. First, his thinking was wrong. My brother called it stinking thinking. His thinking was wrong. His desires were uncontrollable. And then it led him to choose wrongly. And that's how it goes in our lives. You and I usually don't sin until we're thinking about it. We're dwelling on it. And then we choose it. This happens when we ignore the word of God and allow our desires to dictate our choices. As believers, we have been set free from our former enslavement to sin. Amen? We are now free to choose good, to choose Christ, to choose to glorify God. Yet time and time again, we return to our sin like the dog returns to his vomit. When we allow our hearts, our thoughts, emotions, will to be influenced by this world, the end is death. And that led to Samson committing suicide and seeking revenge. Just one choice after another, led by wrong thinking 
and not controlling his desires. His choices led him to a tragic end. He would rather be influenced by the world than be influenced by his vow to God. In 1 John chapter 2, it's here in the monitor, I believe. We looked at this last week. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let us not be Samson's and David's and Solomon's in this regard. Let us be men who are living by faith, who are satisfied and confidently trusting in the person and the promises of God. Take your Bibles real quickly. Turn to Genesis 3, chapter 6. We're almost done here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I want you to see how this got us into the mess. This see, this desire, and this took led us to where you and I are today. Because what I'd like you to do is to look at the ways in which you're doing that today. That's leading you to sin. Genesis 3, 6. Adam and Eve were there in the garden. The serpent comes. He's tempting Eve. And in verse 6, we read this. You may want to underline it as we go. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be what? Desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Saw, desire, take. That's the pattern of sin in our lives. And also notice, I'm not I'm pointing this out as extra, is that our sin always affects and involves someone else. John Owen asks this question. You'll see it here on the monitor. He says, do you make it your daily work to mortify, to kill sin? He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Some of you could stand up if you were honest and bold enough and say, yes, I can give testimony how the consequences of my sin has cost me dearly. Maybe my marriage, maybe my children, maybe a job, maybe my reputation. Sin is a killer. The end of sin is death. So let us be killing sin. I want to lead you with one last quote by Pastor T.S. Sinclair. Do you know this man? Pastor T.S. Johnson's? I didn't know that he was an associate pastor out there, but I'm quoting him anyway. He's up at Foothill. He says this, the first thing then in killing sin is weakening the habit so that it does it, number one, propel us to evil and attack us as much as it used to, to seduce us and draw us away from God, and number three, to divert us from the program of, or to, the, to divert us from the program of killing sin. So you and I need to get the place into our hearts, into our thoughts, into our desires, in our emotions, and into our choices that we are fighting sin. And so we need to recognize that second glance, whether it's a, a woman or whether it's, it's some other type of sin, we need to recognize that we need to fight it at every step. Killing sin is something that, that takes practice. 
It's something that he has given us the weapons for in Ephesians 6, but we must be doing it. We need to make sure that we are weakening sin bit and bit and bit. Next week, we're going to talk about that. So what I want to come to us is let us commit to treasuring Jesus in our thoughts, emotions, and choices. Let us not fall in either to the same sin or a similar sin that cost Samson dearly. Next week, we're going to continue our study of the life and death of Samson as we look at the second part of his life of what led him to his demise. Join with us next week. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and Randy as well for our pastor's prayer. I'm going to ask you just take a moment to hear, just to take a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. So I want you just to pause for a moment. Consider the example of Samson. And instead of saying, boy, I wish I had the strength of Samson and have those adventures, notice that every one of his adventures involves revenge and selfishness, self-centeredness. But yet he also accomplished God's purposes. We'll, We'll find out how he did that next week. Today we're more or less looking at his failing. So consider that and pray, Lord, can you show me where my heart, where my thoughts are not your thoughts? Where my desires are not aligned with scripture. And Father, is there choices that I'm making that is leading me to live a faith or a walk that's walking by the flesh, not by the spirit, not living by faith? And then just pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work. Take this home with you. Think about it. Dwell on it. Ask God, how do you want me to respond? Lord, that I may be a man of faith, confidently trusting in your person and in your promises, satisfied in you. Let us all be men and women that are satisfied in God. Taste and see that God is good, the psalmist sings. Manny, would you come and close us with our pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.